challenge. Today, I am preaching the last message in the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> Those of you who didn't get a toy, you're wondering, where's mine? What happened here? We are finishing our series in Nehemiah today. After nearly three months of studying in one book, we are bringing that to an end today in Nehemiah chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Nehemiah chapter 9. And if you have a noisemaker, put it away. I don't know if I can trust you all sermon long with a noisemaker. No, I know I can. I've been told that if the sermon goes long, I'm going to hear the same noise again. Wrap it up. Wrap it up. Nehemiah chapter 9. In just a minute, I'm going to read verse 6 through 38. I brought something with me today that many of you have, I believe, probably in your homes. I brought an old family photo album. Now, this was a specific gift to me uh, on our on my very first Father's Day. Uh, Jennifer made a nice little book of pictures from uh, my firstborn Isaac's first year of life and me being a first-time dad. And there's little comments and little quotes and little pictures in this photo album. It's very precious to me. I keep it fairly close on my desk. And from time to time, I just like to pull it out and take a, pic, I take a peek at these photos. How many of you have photo albums at home? Now, I've wondered about my college students. They may not know the power of a photo album. Most of their pictures are on a hard drive or on a phone or in the cloud. But most of us grew up with photo albums lying around our living rooms. Uh, maybe on an evening, you would pull those photo albums and everybody kind of gather around and just strum through the pictures, uh, you'd see some crazy hairstyles or some really out-of-date clothing. <laughs> uh, you might see some people who've lost some weight or gained some weight, some people who've lost some hair or, strangely, grew hair back. Uh, you would see pictures of babies and Christmas mornings and uh, birthday parties and special events. There's just something about a photo album. Am I right? Uh, they have asked folks a question, kind of a survey. If you found out your house was on fire, what would be the one thing you would go back to try to get? Now, men, oddly enough, answer papers, important documents. Do you know what ladies, mamas, grandmamas answer? Photo album. Of the one thing, that they don't answer the kids, you know, I mean, maybe they should. I'm joking there. But they answer the kids are safe, everyone's safe, the dogs are safe, the cat's safe. But what's that one item you'd go back for? Photo albums. Because there's something about those memories that stay with those photos. Well, in Nehemiah chapter 9, the last sermon in our series, it's not the last chapter in the book. The people have gathered together again, just like they did last week when we heard about Ezra reading for six hours the book of the law, reading the first five books of the Old Testament in their entirety. Well, they've gathered again, all gathered together 
but this time they're going to do something different. Uh, Ezra is going to be on his little podium again, and he's going to be the one speaking, just like we learned last week. But this time, instead of reading from the Old Testament first five books, he's going to summarize their whole history in an in a overview. It's kind of like the movie trailer of where their people have come from the creation until that very day. And I'm going to read that for you today. And, and let me just say that it's more than I would normally read on a Sunday morning. This is 32 verses. And most of us are better with five verses, 10 verses. 32 is a lengthy section to read. But I'm going to do it for two reasons. One is because some of you may not be real familiar with the Old Testament. And that's okay. No one is an expert in the Old Testament. Even the Scholars are not necessarily experts. But this 32 verses gives us an overview of God's activity in the Old Testament, and it will kind of give you a quick summary. But secondly, more importantly, I'd like to read these 32 verses because they're part of your family history. If you're a child of God, if you have been saved by Jesus' blood, if you have been born again if you have been brought from death to life, if you have been made new, you have a history. And that history is included in this history because it's the history of God and His people. And if you're one of God's kids, it's part of your history. So while this photo album may not have your face on the photo, it may not have an event that you're familiar with, it's still part of your history because it's God's work with God's people. And so I think it has value for us. So if you would grant me permission, and I promise this will be helpful to us all, I'd invite you to join in your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 9. The text will be on the screen as well, and we'll work through it, and I promise you will see a history unfold. Starting in verse 6, Ezra the prophet Begin saying these words. You are the Lord. You alone. You have made heaven and the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you and you made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanites, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. You have kept your promise for you are righteous." You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers and you made a name for yourself as it is to this very day. And you divided the sea before them so that when they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, 
and by a pillar of fire in the night to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you have made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them the commandments and the statutes and a law by Moses your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go into the possessed and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commands. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you had performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You in your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner. So they took possession of the land of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children as the stars of heaven and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land. And you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and gave them into their hands with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And they captured fortified cities and a rich land and took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who you had warned them in order to turn them back to you, and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven. And many times you delivered them according to your mercies. You warned them 
in order to turn them back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck and would not obey. Many years you bore with them and warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the peoples of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, our God, the great and the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenants and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, for our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and all your people, since the time of the king of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your laws or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them, even in their own kingdom and amid your great goodness that you gave them and in large and rich land that you set before them. They did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And it is rich yield goes to the kings in whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6 through 38. It's a long history, summarized in 32 verses. Let me try to make just a couple very brief points about history and about God from this passage. First, history, like this that we just read, like that we can see from the Old Testament, like we can view from any family photo album, history helps us understand a wider view of God's redemptive work. Did you notice over and over in that series of verses, there was a pattern unfolding? Did you recognize the pattern? If you saw it once, you saw it numerous times. The pattern goes something like this. God shows His great love and gathers for himself a people. And the people worship God, and love God, and thank God, and honor God, until they decide to be their own God. And they get a stiff neck. That means stubbornness. And they choose to do things that are opposing to God. That's called wickedness. And they walk their own way. That's called rebellion. God, in His mercy and His love, does not let them go away forever. He does not forsake them. He doesn't leave them to their own devices. No, God finds a way, even in the midst of some terrible tragedies, to draw those people back to Him. 
Sometimes he'll use a foreign army or a foreign invader to come in and to bring them under control. And the people will feel this outside invader come and and they'll remember God and they'll see what they've been doing and they'll see the wickedness of their lives and they'll cry out to God, pray for His forgiveness. They will repent and God will hear them and be merciful to them and send a deliverer for them. Did you see that in verse 27? Verse 27 repeats that cycle briefly. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. And in the time of their suffering they cried out to you. And you heard them from heaven according to your great mercy. And you gave them saviors who saved them. Now, this may sound like a history not familiar to the American culture. In all honesty, we don't have a foreign army invading us or a foreign occupier coming and putting us under their authority. But we do have an enemy. His name is Satan. And because of our own wicked ways and our own desires to do our own thing, we draw away from God and the enemy brings us into traps and oppression and the enemy puts us into shackles and to slavery, to sin. And it's like one day we come to our senses. We see what mess we've made of our own lives. We cry out to God for help. And we find out that God has never left us. He's never abandoned us. He's never forsaken us. He's never turned away from us. He has heard our cry. Friends, do you know that when you cry out to God, He hears you? He hears you. No matter how far you have strayed, no matter how rebellious you've become, no matter how stiff your neck has become, God hears you. Isn't that glorious? You can run as far away from God as you want, and when you get to that spot and you cry out to Him, guess what? He's been there all along. You can't outrun Him. You can't get away from Him because if you're one of His kids, He's on you from the moment of confession until the moment of glorification. God never leaves one of His own. This cycle comes and comes and comes. And maybe you, even you're not in this Old Testament photo album, but you have had times in your life where you were on fire for the Lord, committed to the Lord, focused on the Lord, but then something in your life came and it changed your relationship with God. And maybe you drifted or maybe you even just outright rebelled. And you thought you could get away from Him. The pattern is still true to this day. If you're one of his kids, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And the moment you turn to him and cry out, Father, he listens and he restores and he rebuilds a life that he loves. You see, we get a wider view when we see history and God's redemptive work. Secondly, history helps us see our pressing issues in a more proper perspective. You know, we all have the same kind of problem. 
We get in our own world and in our own lives and in our own cycle of things and things go wrong and we think, oh, the world's coming to an end. Oh, this problem's never going to go away. This is too big. This is too out of my control. I'm just throwing up my hands, giving up. But if you actually step back, sometimes you go, oh my goodness, that wasn't so big of an issue at all. I have this occurrence from time to time. I was in marching band in high school and in college. I know that probably doesn't surprise you. I don't look like an athlete. I'm not. I have zero athletic skills, a little bit more so in the musical side of things. I played in the drum line. I can keep beat. That's about it. But I can remember now, some 20 and 25 years ago, things that were happening in the course of a marching band season or in a, in a, in a concert season. And, and I can remember thinking that the world was coming to an end. Oh, we didn't win that competition. Or, oh, I didn't play that part right. Or, oh, I dropped my stick again and again and again. Actually, in one performance, luckily I had a whole slew of marching band drumsticks because I dropped my sticks four times in one halftime show. It was cold. My hands were stiff. Yeah, that's what I'm going to say happened. Yes. And I would just get so down on myself and be like, oh, man, I messed up. I did so bad. But now you think back on that and you think, oh, that's silly. That's silly. Why did I let that get me? Why did I let that bother me? Any of you have that reoccurrence of remembering something at one time was a big deal and now it's not so much of a big deal? You see, when you step back from your day-to-day and you kind of get a bigger perspective, you see that some of the things that we think are really, really problematic, really, really hard, really, really intense, if we step back from it, we find out they're not as pressing as we might have thought. You see... History helps us get a proper perspective. And I want to say something spiritual here. Some of us have had seasons in our lives where we thought we could do nothing but wrong. And when you peel back and you see God's redemptive history and you see things through the eyes of the Lord, you see that season of your life that you think, oh man, I was terrible in that time. I was broken. I was so disobedient. When God looks back, he sees it no more. Because the Bible says that when we confess our sins to the Lord, he remembers them not. He sets them as far away as the east is from the west, and you can't get any further. That God in his gracious, forgiving, merciful spirit, he remembers them no more. It's as if they never took place. You can still feel bad about it at times. You can even have those memories. You can even have those moments where you just feel the guilt return. And you can be assured that's a weapon of Satan to bring you down. Because if you have confessed them to the Lord God Almighty, he remembers them no more. Forgiveness upon confession is forgiveness forever. You might remember, but God doesn't. Third, third, and this might be a time to get your little noisemakers out. I got one more that you might want to celebrate. The third point I want to make, and I think this passage helps us understand that 
history instills in us a deep hope for future deliverance. Over and over, the people in this passage were waiting for God to deliver them finally, completely. It's all done. And we know because of Jesus Christ, a completed deliverance has come on the cross and the resurrection. Amen? Sin was defeated. Death has no more power over us. Jesus is victorious. And we are inheritance of His victory. Amen? But we have another future deliverance. Amen? That Jesus promised not to leave us as orphans, but to send His Spirit, and that He will come again. And that He will bring us into Himself. That He will draw us into the kingdom. That we will not have to live under the oppression of sin and rebellion forever, but that God's still not done redeeming this world. The angels said it this way in Acts chapter 1, verse 9, or 10 and 11. And as they were gazing into heaven, as Jesus went, behold, two angels stood among them in white robes. And the angels said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw Him go. Jesus is coming back. That's worthy of celebration, right? Nehemiah couldn't see it. Thank you, Charlie. He got that horn going there. <laughs> Nehemiah may not have been able to see it in his day. We may not be able to see it in our day, but we can be assured that there will come a time when every person on the face of the globe will see Jesus return. And He will come in the glory of heaven and everyone will know God has delivered yet again His promises. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will keep His Word until the very end. And history will become His story. And I wonder if it's your story. I wonder if it's the story that you trust and you know and you have received by faith. Are you part of this family album? This album known as God's family album. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the promises that you give that you do not ever go back on. That we can trust you by faith and we know that you will keep your word. Lord, there might be someone here today that is in a season of life where their neck has become stiff, their heart has become cold, their life has become about something other than following You. God, I pray that they would turn today back to You. They would cry out to You. Because I know You will hear, You will listen, You will forgive, and You will restore. You've done it time and time and time again. And Father, maybe some of us today are in the midst of a season where we just feel like everything is out of control. Let us step back and recognize that You are still on Your throne and that we can find our hope in You. Lord, if there be some others that need to make a decision today, there are others that need to pray and just re 
ignite a relationship with you, I pray that today would be this opportunity for them to properly respond. Pray you help us now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand?